It is truly a privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Mark Burks, and my wonderful wife Amy is, is with me as well. And I got to tell you, it's a little daunting to be the candidate pastor on Palm Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you thought about that, but it's to be welcomed with open arms on Sunday and calling for your execution by Friday uh, is a little uh, daunting uh, to, to think about, but it is truly a... Uh, privilege to be here. It's interesting when we think about Jesus coming in and being welcomed as the, the Messiah, the King, how there was sort of a leadership misunderstanding that took place right away. They, they thought they knew what the Messiah was going to be like. They thought they knew what he was going to be about, but very quickly things turned. If you know most of the Gospels, right after the triumphal entry, there's Jesus going to the temple and flipping over tables. Uh, so immediately there were some, maybe some misunderstandings about what the role Jesus was going to play. Even in John's gospel, when after the triumphal entry, uh, Jesus predicts his death. Again, what a, what a transformative moment for the people to think that they knew what Jesus was going to be and for him to totally turn that upside down for them. He wasn't necessarily the Messiah that they were expecting, but we know, thankfully, he was truly the Messiah that they needed. He was, the, he was the one they needed, the one they desperately uh, were calling for. And, and as we look at this week, and as we think about this coming week, this week moves very quickly, very quickly from Palm Sunday through Thursday in the upper room to Friday's arrest and, and crucifixion. It moves very quickly to the cross. It moves very quickly, and I know you're planning on uh, remembering the cross this Friday night through a Good Friday service, but this move moves to the cross, and the cross is such an interesting, interesting symbol for us. It's interesting as a, as a believer, as a, as a body of Christ, even noticing the cross that you have here displayed in your auditorium this morning, that this is typically an instrument of capital punishment. Uh, it was meant to be a grueling, humiliating instrument of capital punishment, uh, to be slow, agonizingly brutal, to make a public shame of someone. And yet for some reason to this day, uh, many of you might have jewelry that has a cross on it, uh, and we celebrate the cross. How is that possible that we could take an instrument of humiliation and torture and look to it and find some sense of purpose and meaning and hope as followers of Christ. And that's really what I want us to, to look at this morning. I want us to try to answer the question, why the cross matters. How is it that the cross has become central to the lives of followers of Christ, that we, we wear them around our necks, we display them proudly in our auditoriums, we, we place them on our facilities? How is it that something so cruel so humbling and so gruesome could be the very picture of what it means to follow Christ. As a matter of fact, even the passage we read from 1 Corinthians together, talking about how it's, it's foolish to the Jews and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. This message of the cross. And, and maybe you've even sung songs before like the old rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and shame. How is it, how is it possible that something like this could be a picture of what it means to follow Christ. And here's what I want you to do. If you've got that uh, outline page on, on your bulletin, I want to I give you an outline to give you an idea of where we're headed this morning. At the top of that page, I'd like you to, to write this for me, that God's love for us is defined and displayed 
in the work of Christ on the cross. That at the top of that page, you can write that God's love for us is defined and displayed in the work of Christ on the cross. We're going to unpack that together. But as we unpack that together, I'm going to give you three things. So if you're one of those people who like to kind of number off one to three down that page and in that page, we're going to be looking at a couple things together. We're going to be looking at our sin, God's love, and true joy and hope. And what I want us to see as we look at this passage is that we will never really understand our sin until we understand the cross. We will never understand God's love until we understand the cross. And we will never know true joy and hope until we understand the cross as well. So that's where we're going to go today. We're going to unpack the idea that God's love for us is defined and displayed in the work of Christ on the cross. And we're going to be initially dealing with our sin, with what God's love looks like in the cross, and the hope of true joy that we have because of the cross. So if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 might be a familiar passage for for many of you. Uh, We're going to look at Romans 5, 6 through 11. Romans is such a a beautiful book for us. Uh, I love it because we can can, uh, give an outline of it in an alliteration. I am prone to alliteration. I don't know why it happens. I'm just wired that way. But when we look at the book of Romans, it starts to deal with the people's sin. The first couple chapters deal with sin. Uh, Chapters 3 through 5 deal with our salvation in Christ. Uh, Chapters 6 through 8 give us a picture of sanctification. Chapters 9 through 11 show us God's sovereignty over this beautiful salvation. Chapters 12 through 16 give us a picture of the service that we're called to in light of the beautiful salvation that we received. So it's a beautiful picture of sin, our salvation, our sanctification, God's sovereignty over that, and our call to service. Just a beautiful outline for us to think about the particular book of Romans that we have. And in chapter 5, it's a part of this understanding what God has done for us section. It's it's understanding who we are in Christ now. And in in chapter 5, it starts with this understanding that we have been made right in God's sight through Christ. We have peace with God through what Christ has done for us. And I want to pick up in verse 6. Now again, I'm reading this morning out of the New Living Translation. It's going to be just a little bit different, but I want you to hear the words here. I know sometimes uh, when you're really familiar with a passage, hearing it just a little different way can be somewhat jarring to us. It can grab our attention, and I hope as we think about the message of the cross this morning, and as we think about what it means to to look to the cross, that these words, again, will jar us as we look at them. So if you want to listen along with me, beginning in Romans 6, it says, Romans 5, 6, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we are made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God 
Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the good gift of your word. Thank you for the amazing reminder of what you have given us in Christ. God, thank you for this text and and for the hope that it gives us as believers and, and for what it reminds us of and points us to. God, we pray that we will rest this morning in the continual reminder of the hope that we have because of you. In your heavenly name, amen. So first and foremost, like I said, this passage shows us an understanding of our sin. If you noticed right away in verse 6, it talks about how when we were utterly helpless. Some of your translations might say powerless or weak. But it's trying to help us understand in these passages that our ability to make ourselves right with God is impossible. It wants us to fully understand that there's nothing about you or I that could morally make ourselves right in God's sight. We can't can't work ourselves up to being justified before God. We can't do anything to restore this relationship with Him. It's our sin that has put us in this utterly helpless, powerless, weak, lacking moral strength position. He wants us to understand that you and I don't bring anything to our salvation. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said, we don't bring anything to salvation but the sin that made it necessary. That's our contribution. And when we think about the cross, the cross should remind us that with the the gruesome brutality of the cross is a picture of just how dead and sickening our sin is. It should remind us of the cost of our sin. I think in reality, you and I sometimes forget that. You and I sometimes tend to overlook. We think of our sin often like a parking ticket. It was a bad idea. I shouldn't have done it. And I'll pay my fine and I'll move on. I think this passage reminds us about our utterly helpless state and what it is that Christ has done for us as sinners in verse 6. Some of your translations will call us the ungodly just in case you missed it. They want us to understand this is us. Apart from Christ, you and I are sinners and ungodly. The readers of Romans have been getting this in the first three chapters. The first three chapters, they have been reminded as much as they wanted to look at other people and other people's sins, Paul takes it right back to them in chapter 2 and says, "It's, it's your sin." It's you who were once like this apart from Christ. And I think we don't understand the cross and we don't understand the gravity and the gruesomeness of the cross until we understand that our sin demanded the cross. That the reality of our sin required the sort of pain and punishment that was the result that was satisfied by what Christ did on the cross. I know too many people think, well, I haven't done much I haven't really done anything that bad. But in all reality, in Matt Chandler's book, Explicit Gospel, he reminds us that every human being is guilty of three things. All of us preferred creation to the Creator. We all think we are smarter than God. And we have all failed to acknowledge Him. Those are the three things that you and I are guilty of all the time. And we need to recognize the gravity of that and the shock of that when we consider the gravity and the shock of what took place on that cross in Jesus' crucifixion. 
Both the Old Testament and New Testament reminder, remind us of that, about how it's blood that makes atonement for one's life, and it's the shedding of blood that provides forgiveness of sin. And for you and I to really understand the cross, we have to understand just how sinful we were apart from Christ. How every thought we had was only evil always. How we as people have just made up ways to be rebellious against God. And when we think about the cross, the cross reminds us that our condition apart from Christ demands the sort of justice that took place on the cross. And you and I must consider that. Uh, this, is, this is one of those weird days where we're going to talk about Matt Chandler, Jonathan Edwards, and I'll include Thomas Watson, another old Puritan dead guy, to say, he said, till sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We will never appreciate and understand and fully grasp the glory of what Christ has done for us until we come to grips with the gravity of our sin that made it necessary. When we think about the cross, when we think about what it looks like, we have to again recognize that an understanding of our sin, seeing it's our sin that demands the kind of cost that was on the cross. But I have wonderful news. I have wonderful news for us because the very next thing that Paul gives us in Romans is a reminder that the cross also displays the depths of God's love for us. Beginning in 7 and 8 and into 9, he gives us a comparison, first of all, of the contrast with human love than that unique love of God. He said, and most people would not, would, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Right? There's limitations to human love. There's limitations to what we'll do for one another, and he lays that out for us, but then also says in 8, in one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture, that God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Still sinners. Still rebellious. Still making creation greater than the creator. Still doing all of those things. He sent Christ to us. He didn't do it because he saw our good potential. He didn't do it because he thought, you know, there's some real possibilities with those folks. They can really kind of turn things around. No. He did it because of his love. He didn't do it begrudgingly. It doesn't say he had to, "Ah, I really don't want to do this, but I might as well. No, it wasn't begrudgingly. It, It wasn't because he saw our good potential. And it also wasn't at the expense of his justice. He just didn't look the other way. He just didn't look at our sin and ignore it. He satisfied the just penalty of that sin in Christ. That's what, the, what verse 9 is pointing us to. And since we have been made right in God's sight. Some of your translations use the word justified there. That legal term is exactly what it means to be made right in God's sight. How? Through the blood of Christ. And that blood of Christ, what does it say? Certainly saves us from God's condemnation. Again, some of your translations use the word wrath there. A picture of the gravity of our sin and what Christ has done for us. It's a picture of what we call grace and mercy. Grace getting what we do not deserve and mercy not getting what we do. All those come together. As we mentioned with uh, the song, The Old Rugged Cross, even one of the verses of The Old Rugged Cross talks about how He came to pardon and sanctify me. 
That's the hope that we have in God's love for us on the cross. One of my favorite definitions of love comes from Paul Tripp, and it's that cruciformed definition of love. And it says, love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person loving is deserving. It's self-sacrificing. It doesn't require reciprocation because we cannot reciprocate. We are the ones who are still sinners. It not, was not based on whether or not we were deserving because we were not. It was based solely and completely on His love. His great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I know we said that sometimes we think about our, our sin like a parking ticket. The reality is the cross reminds us that our sin is a capital offense. Our sins require a capital offense and, and death. And now imagine you're standing before a judge, guilty as sin, as they may say, right? You're standing there. There is, there is no other way than to face the accusation against you and to know that you are guilty of sin, to know that it's not just a parking ticket, but it's a capital offense. And then to know because of great, God's great love, he didn't just commute your sentence. He just didn't look the other way. He just didn't downgrade it to life. He just didn't downgrade it to time served. It was still a capital offense that required a capital punishment. But in that moment, out of his love, he transferred it to another. Not only did he transfer your punishment to someone else, he transferred it to someone who was completely innocent. You, guilty as sin, your punishment transferred to one who is completely innocent. That was the picture of why Christ came. That was the picture that maybe the folks on Palm Sunday didn't fully understand that Jesus had truly come to take away the sins of the world. He came to come and to, to take away the punishment that we justly deserved. He came and he lived the life that we could not live and he died the death that, that we deserved. Maybe some of you are familiar with the song, In Christ Alone. One of the verses of In Christ Alone says, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That reminder to us, he didn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't just look the other way. But he provided through his perfect love, a perfect sacrifice to take the punishment that you and I deserve through Christ. That's what Romans is celebrating. That's what Paul is reminding us of. That's what we look to when we look to the cross. We no longer see the picture of shame. We now see the picture of what Christ has done. The depth of God's love for us. So how do we respond to that? What do we do with the reality that our penalty has been paid by another. That the punishment that we deserved has been transferred to another fully and completely innocent person. How do we respond to that? Do we walk away and go, well, good. I can go right back to my life of sin now that I got a clean slate again. We have just been delivered 
off of death row. We have moved from death to life because the love of another and the sacrifice of another. What is our just response? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 and 11 conclude the the, the final thoughts of this particular passage. It said, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies. Again, a reminder, it wasn't, we weren't getting better. We weren't earning our way to anything. We weren't demonstrating our, our future potential. While we were still His enemies, we were certainly saved through the life of His Son. We have confidence and we can have hope. He's reminding us that not only are we saved now from the penalty of our sins, but we will certainly be saved through Him. There's both a now and a not yet there. There's a, there's a hope that we can look to in the future that yes, we've received the deliverance now, but we also as followers of Christ who've put our faith and trust in Him long for that future hope when we will be fully saved through Him. That we will live in a world where we no longer struggle with sin, with the sin of us, the sin of others. We'll be in that wonderful glorified state where we enjoy perfect fellowship with God forever. We long for that and we look forward to that. Verse 11 says we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. Many of our translations use the word reconciled over and over again. They want you to see that there was a gap. There was a problem. There was a break. And through what God has done through Christ on the cross, you and I can experience true hope and true joy. We can respond in worship and adoration and praise because of what Christ has done for us. Because of the the hope that we have in how God has helped us have a restored, reconciled relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's the only real hope we have. If hope is based on my ability to pick myself up by my bootstraps, if my hope is built on my ability to discipline myself or to be holy or righteous by myself, I know I am still an enemy with God. If my hope rests on what Christ has done for me, that God has lovingly provided for me through the cross, I can know what true hope and true joy is. Apart from Him, Hope and joy are just wishful thinking. Apart from the reality of what Christ has accomplished on the cross for me, true joy and hope are temporary, meaningless, and short-sighted. But true joy and true hope can come through Christ. This picture of reconciliation, being friends with God. Paul even goes a step forward in Galatians 4 and talks about being adopted into God's family what it means to be reconciled and reunited and friends and family that once rebellious people who did only evil always, who were stuck in patterns of sin through what God accomplished on the cross can know true joy and hope both now and forever. That's good news. This is all such good news. But to fully understand the good news, we often have to begin and remember the bad news first. We have to remember that, first of all, it was our sin that demanded the cross. It was our sin that made the cross necessary. It was our rebellion against God that that necessitated the sin. 
But God provided it lovingly. God provided it because of his love for us. Not based on anything we were going to do or we could do, but he provided it for us so that we might know that true joy and true hope are only found in him. Talk about being restored to creation. Talk about being restored to the creator. That many of us spend our lives pursuing the God that it's everything but him. Trying to find true joy and true hope. But it is truly only through him and what was accomplished on the cross that we can know what that true joy and true hope is. It is the only real thing that we have. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is meaningless. But the cross reminds us of that. The cross is not just a picture of of shame. It's not just an emblem of suffering and shame. But for the believer, it becomes a call to worship. It becomes a, a sense of thanksgiving. It's a reminder of what we've been saved from. It's also a reminder of what we've been saved for. To worship. To reflect God. To know true joy and peace. You know, in just a few minutes, we're going to respond to God's word by singing magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. And as we do, I want you to to really, I'm hoping you'll think about all the words as you sing them. And I know Chris is too. But I especially want to draw your attention to verse 3. Verse 3 of this, this wonderful song for us says, Your cross is our door to redemption. Your death is our fullness of life. That's the cross. That's why we celebrate the cross. That's why we remember the cross. That's why we we look at one of the most painful, gruesome, shameful acts of all time with a sense of true hope and true joy because that cross is the door of redemption. That cross in His death brings us fullness of life. You know, this week, as you prepare for Easter, you prepare to celebrate the resurrection together as, as a church family. This, this week, as you even consider the, the cross of Christ more deeply on Friday night, on Good Friday, I, I hope that from, for this week, if I could just ask, that when you see a cross, whether it's around your home or when you're out and you're maybe passing another church facility or here at this church facility, that you would think about that cross and being reminded of what that cross tells us about our sin and the need for Christ. That cross demonstrates my need. It shows my dependence on Christ. That cross is a picture of the demonstration of the extent of God's love. He loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. We would see that in the cross. Not only our sin, but the love of God And that we would look at crosses differently this week. That we would see the meaning and the power and the purpose that it is our only sense of hope and joy. It only comes through the cross. That's why the cross matters. That's why we talk about it. That's why we sing about it. That's why we celebrate it. It's more than just two pieces of wood. It is truly a reminder of our sin and what God has lovingly provided for us and the hope that we have. So I would pray that with us that we would recognize our need, that we would recognize our need for the cross, that we would recognize that it's our sin that separates us from God. We're not going to be self-righteous enough ever 
to be reconciled to God, to be a friend of God, to be justified before God, to be made right with God. But the cross would help us recognize our need, that we would receive the message of the cross by faith, believing in the sacrificial love of God through Christ, that we would recognize it is He who has come to take away the sins of the world, and that we would respond to this good news with constant joyful hope. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege, the privilege of being reminded today about what you have done through the cross. God, I pray as we even go through this week and we, we, we work our way thinking through <clears throat> what the events of this week were like in the life of Jesus, that, that we too would remember how desperately we need Christ. That every day we would be reminded of our desperate need of his grace and his mercy that we receive through the cross. We would be reminded this week of your amazing love for us. And can it be that your love would be so amazing to us that you would trade the, the guilty for the innocent? God, and I pray that our lives would be filled with war, joyful worship. That even as we go from here today and as we begin a new week, should you not return before next Sunday, that those who have gathered in your name, who find their hope in the cross, would be known in their communities and around the world as those who live with a joyous hope because of the cross of Christ. You have given us new life through your Son, and may we respond with joy. In your heavenly name, amen.